Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. And I'm here in the Condé Nast podcast studios with Laura Redman and Rachel Peachman. Laura is, of course, our deputy digital director, and she edits our website. Rachel's a writer for us. And on the Skype, we've got Tyler Moss, who's also a writer. Both Rachel and Tyler have covered our subject today for us recently and in the past couple of years. My name's Brad Rickman, and our topic for the week is both a complicated one, a slightly sad one, and one that we hope we can help people get a little bit more pleasure and joy and satisfaction out of if we can get to an end point with that. But it's Flying with Pets, which has been in the news a lot lately and which we have been covering. There was an explosive story last week, which we'll get into. But the first thing that I was curious about from you guys, Rachel and Tyler, is I'm not clear on what the actual policies are, the official policies for the major carriers, particularly domestic. Do you guys have a handle on that? Sure. In general, the pet can come in the cabin with you if there is space and the pet is small enough to fit in its carrier underneath the seat in front of you. The pet also needs to be able to stand up and turn around within the carrier. Um, And each airline has specifics on the size of the carrier, but I believe it's generally like 17 by 10 inches. And each airline, I feel like, has variations on that, right? It's so important to check the airline website at the very beginning to make sure, A, that you can put your pet in a carrier on their plane. Because United, only recently, and again, we'll get into this, United had a big program called its Pet Safe Program, which allowed you to ship your pet by cargo, and they just put it on hold because they've been having a lot of problems. Right. But, like, typically it's either carrier in the cabin, right? Or in cargo. Exactly. So the restrictions on in cabin, your pet basically needs to be small enough to be able to fit in that carrier underneath the seat. And for both in cabin and cargo, your pet needs to have passed a health check within the past 10 to 30 days, depends on the carrier's policy. So check that as well. It has to be up to date on immunizations and also at least eight weeks old. So it's not a teeny. You have to document the health check to the airline? Yes, you have to have proof of that from the vet. Okay. There's also certain types of pets where they may not be allowed, even in the cabin, short-nosed dogs, I believe. Um, I forget the technical term for it. Do you remember what it is? Yeah, it's brachycephalic, I believe. I may be mispronouncing it, but let's hope that's right. (laughs) Although I think that many carriers do let you bring the short-nosed breeds in the cabin. In the cabin, but not in cargo. It really depends. You have to ask. They sort of say, you're assuming risk, more risk, if your dog is a short-nosed breed. They don't tend to recommend traveling in cargo for those types of breeds, but people still do it. So this is like bulldogs and pugs. Exactly. um, And they have a higher propensity for respiratory disorders. Is that what's behind the the, the sort of caution there? Exactly. Two things seem apparent to me. One is if you don't have a really small pet, you know, you're kind of SOL with this. And that seems to exclude an awful lot of people because even a medium sized dog or a large cat might have trouble turning around in a box that would fit under those seats. But the other thing is, it doesn't seem to me like there's any regulatory agency involved with this. Like, is the FAA involved with this at all? Do they have anything to say about this? Um, It's the DOT. It's the Department of Transportation. But then they pass it off. They they report on it, but then they pass it off to the USDA. um, And it falls under, there's animal welfare acts within that. But once you get to that point, once you get to a USDA investigation, it gets very murky. I don't know of an investigation that actually has turned up anything 
reliable because, you know, you're dealing with a vet who is perhaps looking at a, an animal that right. is deceased and it gets really complicated to determine cause of death. And right. we can get into some examples of that from your story. While I haven't done all the research on all the different airlines, having not reported on this particular aspect, I can talk to it a little bit just from my own experience traveling with uh, my dog, which my wife and I do pretty much every Christmas. We travel back from the East Coast to Portland, Oregon, so significantly long way, multiple legs typically, and kind of the preparation that we go through for that. We've got a about 20-pound Beagle Jack Russell Terrier mix. Hmm. Um, she's basically at the very top edge of what you would consider able to fit under the seat. and. Hmm. Frankly, one of the things that we've kind of been interested or surprised by is while you have all these stipulations online, it has very much been at the discretion of the airline and particularly like when you go up and, you know, get your your pass to put on the bag and everything like that, whether or not it's all very subjective, basically. And a lot of times they don't even actually look. That said, I do have a feeling with all these things that have been going on lately, it will become more strict. But we've had a lot of situations in which we go up, we get the pass put on the bag. No one ever, you know, has, I think maybe once in probably 15 trips has anyone ever asked us to have our dog turn around in her bag. Now she can do that. But, you know, you, they have all these regulations online that in, you know, or haven't historically been as uh, strictly abided by as maybe it's initially been perceived. I found that as well, actually. I have a niece who I was promised that she wasn't going to be, you know, more than 11 pounds or whatever because I actually wanted to be able to travel with her. And she's at least 16. And now, you know, she's an older dog pushing a little bit more than that. And um, I remember years ago on Northwest, I would fly with her and they had a weight limit of 15 pounds. Mm. And same thing, they almost never checked what was in my bag, how much that bag weighed. But one time I made the mistake of having my dog have her head sort of peeking out of the bag that I was carrying. And the um, agent, when we were trying to get our boarding passes, asked to weigh the dog and she was 17 pounds or something with the carrier. And they were like, okay, that's it. She's going into cargo. And I- no. I think I probably cried. I think I was also pregnant at the time. <laughs> and I think I cried. I would talk to a manager and they weren't budging. Um, even though, of course, the welfare of the dog would be so much better off in the cabin than in cargo. And so we were upset. We debated. And then we thought, you know what? We don't have our boarding passes yet. Let's just go to another agent. And we just put the dog back in our carrier, went to another agent, and she didn't check. And we got on the plane. Oh, that's brilliant. So it really, like you said, it proof that. You know, it's really up to the discretion of. Well, that's the also kind of crazy because you have a carrier that looks like just any old carry-on luggage, and do these airlines not have a big, bright red tag that they put on them to say like, "Hey, you've got a pet, you've got a living, breathing thing going under your feet"? Well, the bags do look. If you look at them closely, there are you know mesh breathing holes, and they do fit a certain criteria. But yeah, they can look just like a nice little black bag. So a lot of people aren't paying attention. And then are the, and the past that I've. Yes. The pass that I've been given when I've gone is just like, you know, it looks like a bag, looks like a little bit of a, a you know, uh, same kind of tag you would put on a checked bag, basically. You know, it goes around one of the handles and it's not, it's pretty discreet, really. It's not, um, and a lot of times they'll just hand it to you. They won't even necessarily put it on the bag themselves. I mean, it strikes me as you've got, first of all, that kind of uncertainty, I guess, is somewhat common in, in air travel, but it's usually as far, the stakes are lower in normal cases. If it's just a bag of your, clothes and your, you know, toiletries, toiletries, like whatever, fine. Here you're talking about an actual life and it really makes a material difference. So it seems like a much bigger deal. And the second thing is it seems like you've got people who are not necessarily qualified or fully briefed 
on what exactly is supposed to happen. And so there's judgment calls being made with a very, very mm-hmm. wide degree of criteria being applied, which seems problematic from a number of points of view. Tyler, I'm, I'm wondering, can you talk us through what the regulations are around emotional support animals? Right. And so they've they've actually changed recently, or they've changed for a few carriers, um, specifically because there were people abusing the system, which you kind of need to look back a little bit first and talk about, you know, that there's the reason that this whole category of emotional support animals exists is because there's this legitimate need in which people have, you know, an emotional need to have an animal on the plane for, you know, perhaps, you know, you get extreme anxiety when you fly on a plane or something like that. And there are, you know, doctors who actually prescribe having a dog or a cat or something like that with you to help manage those feelings. Um, And that's actually something that's stipulated by the law that you have access to that kind of animal. But the problem is in the past, you know, say five years, people have been abusing this system in order to get around the, um, the cost you typically have to pay in order to bring your pet the normal way on a plane, you know, the $125, if you're going to put, say your plane, your um, pet under the seat in front of you, and also to get around some of the other restrictions, like, you know, having to keep your pet in a bag. If you have an emotional support animal, you can keep them on your lap or on, you know, by your feet or different things like that. And so can you buy a seat for them? Sorry to interrupt. I've I've heard stories about a St. Bernard sitting next to an owner. Is that urban legend? In terms of a emotional support animal? Yeah. Can you have like a pot bellied pig or a St. Bernard or something sitting in a seat next to you? It's an interesting question because I used to work in music many, many years ago and we would fly in bass players and we had to buy a ticket for their bass because you can't go in cargo, it's too fragile. So we would have to actually buy a seat for the base. Can you buy a seat for your animal? It's all about the base. You know, <laughs> so it was, my, it was my understanding from doing research on this and looking at the different regulations that the pet is not supposed to actually touch the seat. Perhaps that's changed, and that used to be something that was more allowed because I, I agree, I feel like, you know, years ago, maybe I did see some kind of like a dog curled up on a seat or something like that. And, you know, that could be with people who have physical handicaps, maybe they do extend that even more, you know, if you really do need that pet right there and you can't, you know, for some reason, a pet can't sit on your lap or something like that. That could be a situation in which maybe they allow some leeway. But as far as I know, for an emotional support animal, I don't believe you can buy a separate seat. I believe it has to be on your lap or on, you know, on the floor because it's also can't be blocking the aisle and it can't be in an exit row is another thing. It can't be, but that's with a regular pet as well. Got it. And but so anyway, you, you sorry, have, no, I was just going to ask, so you were talking about how the regulations have changed in order to address the fraud. Right. So there's been people who have basically been, yeah, kind of, you can go online and you can buy these fake doctor's letters or, you know, kind of not real legitimate doctor's letters and tags for your dog and vests and all this kind of thing. So um, basically United and Delta specifically have started to enact more strict guidelines on this to kind of keep people from, you know, bringing a peacock as an emotional, a giant peacock as an emotional support animal on an airline. Or I know there's a bunch of cases where, you know, I know Delta specifically cited having animals not just pee and defecate, but there was a specific case in which a 70 pound uh, dog attacked a person. And, you know, these animals are supposed to be well-trained. So I'll speak uh, specifically in reference to Delta, which is the first that kind of started to enact these, and United has followed suit. So there's a few specific things you need to have to have an emotional support animal. One is a signed medical or mental health professional document, and this is actually one that all air carriers require, Um, but what this effectively means is you have to have a mental health professional of some kind or medical doctor fill out a form um, or write a letter 
that includes proof of their license and assurance that you as a individual have a psychological need for this um, emotional support animal. And that has always been the requirement for emotional support animal, although you know a lot of airlines haven't been as strict about checking them or people can find these kind of questionable documents online. Um, so we already talked about how if you're bringing a pet on an airline, you want to have these vaccinations anyway. Well, it wasn't necessarily something they were checking for emotional support animals before, but now they do want to see it, and you have to upload it online 48 hours before you're actually taking your flight. Um, and the third thing that United and Delta require is a signed confirmation of training form, which basically just is a is you as a passenger saying that your animal has been trained and will behave. And if they don't, they'll be kicked off the flight. And it actually doesn't even have, you know, you don't have to have some licensed uh, trainer sign off on it. You, you just personally ha- you know, are taking responsibility by saying the pet has been trained. So in theory, you could lie about that. But it's kind of um, pushing you to take more yeah, personal responsibility in that way. So as pet owners, you guys, have you ever had to present documents for your pet when you fly? I have never had to present anything. Never. Yes. Okay. Tyler? Maybe one time on Delta when uh, we were checking in and they did have my dog turn around, but I think that might have been the only time ever. Although, yeah, I do believe that they stipulate you require it. What about the health documents? Have you guys ever had to present that? Nothing. I mean, you have to have a ticket for the for the animal. So they do yeah, want they to make sure that money. you paid. Right. <laughs> um, but this may be yeah. very different for people who have checked their animals in cargo. So uh-huh. I've only done in-cabin. Same with me. So that's a good jumping off point maybe because, Rachel, you did a piece for us last year in which you looked into the differences in risk between traveling with your pet in a cabin versus cargo. Can you talk maybe about what some of those risks are and what you found when you were looking into that? Sure. Well, the bottom line is, hands down, it is much safer to travel with your pet in the cabin than in cargo. Um, In cargo, you know, yeah, there are... There were thousands of animals, pets, fly. Well, the DOT would say two million animals fly in cargo each year, about. And each airline has different estimates of how many thousands of animals they but ship. The yes. distinction the, between a pet and an animal is also right. interesting yes. because you could be shipping um, animals for scientific research, sorry, animals, versus your German shepherd, right? And they right. don't necessarily count those animals, like a monkey, going for research as under this umbrella. Right? As an animal, exactly. They they count pets as um, animals that are owned by a person or commercial dogs and cats, meaning like from a breeder to an eventual future owner. But animals like monkeys or like, you know, a bird going to a sanctuary or, um, you know, a mice for research, those are not counted um, okay. in that. So that's a little bit where the reporting on the statistics of risk get gray because we're not actually accounting for all of the animals in our reporting. And these airlines have to self-report too, right? We talked about the DOT and the USDA ultimately being the the checkpoint for each airline, but the airlines have to submit monthly reports saying this many animals died, were lost, were injured on my airline in this given month, and then there's an annual roundup of all of this. Well, they recently changed that. There was a big push of legislation a couple of years ago where, yes, they had to report incidents of death, loss, or injury, but they didn't actually have to report how many animals were flying. So that changed in, I believe, 2015. So now it's there's a little bit more transparency in trying to assess how many animals actually flew compared to how many animals had 
issues. It seems from the sources that I talked to that there this is underreported. So, you know, you can't be sure that every incident makes it into the spreadsheet. What is the balance between traveling in the cabin versus traveling in the cargo? So, Again, so say an airline like United has, you know, I think it was 200,000 about animals that they say they ship per year. So most of those seem to be fine. But um, according to last year, the Department of Transportation records showed that 18 of the animals on United died. So that's a lot. Yeah, Um, I think the incidence was like two out of every 10,000. Yeah. All of those deaths were all of those um, cargo Yes. Uh, yes, they were all cargo. They were so all animals in cargo. It's typically cargo reported out, and the uh, the next incidence rate is less than one. It's if it's Correct. it goes from two point two four to I think point eight. So the exactly. jump is drastic. And United, admittedly, is one of the biggest airlines in the country and flew most likely the most pets, the most animals, because it had a high-profile pet safe program. Um, it talked about having specialty care, uh, trained handlers pressurized cabins, pressurized environments and safe environments when you're taking your pet out of the plane into the luggage carrier and then back onto another plane or in a kennel in between. Right, Rach? Exactly. Yeah, just to look at the actual numbers. Yes. So United flew, according to last year's records, 138,000 and change of um, animals and had 18 deaths, 13 injuries. American Airlines, Delta Airlines and Alaska all had each had two deaths. Out of how many? Out of, and Alaska flew 114,000, almost 115,000. So that isn't that much fewer, you know, mm-hmm. than United, um, and they had considerably less, you know, fewer deaths. Delta flew 57,000 with only two deaths. American flew 34,000 with only two deaths. So something is going on at United. And, and yes, they did have this pet safe program. Other airlines have had similar things, but United had the most publicized one, I believe. And like Laura said, it was um, about having a climate-controlled, pressurized environment, air-conditioned or heated, depending on the weather, way of transporting the animals from the airport to the um, airplane and promising that the pets would be the last to board the flight and the first to get off and then presumably going straight into their climate-controlled environment, but that is not what we found right. to so be the you, case. So talk about what you found when you actually looked into that program. So what we found is a lot of lip service, frankly. I'm sure, you know, like we said, some animals did just fine, but it doesn't seem like the people caring for the animals had any particular training as advertised, and also the promises that were made weren't upheld. So animals were sent in regular luggage carriers with regular suitcases. Suitcases. Yeah. So they were sitting, you know, in 91 degree heat for who knows how long on the tarmac getting heat stroke and, you know, then boarding the plane first, perhaps in non-air conditioned cargo holds and suffocating. Um, And, you know, one of the women I spoke with, um, she has a Facebook site now called United, almost killed my greyhound. Um, You know, she had physical evidence. She was watching her animals torturously. She was watching her animals being transported and left on the tarmac. And um, this this isn't apparently uncommon. Other people have had 
similar experiences before this and, and after this. So it does call into question what the training of the, the She also is. saw evidence that the training that was promised didn't seem to be in evidence in the way that her pets were treated. Right. She, you know, did everything that they had asked as far as leaving food and securing the crate and the animal wasn't given food, wasn't given an opportunity during the layover to walk around. Um, I mean, she had a horrific situation where the animal nearly died and, um, you know, suffered from kidney damage and heat stroke. And um, but fortunately, the animal eventually lived. But other people have not been so lucky. I spoke to someone else who their animal was placed into cargo and in the back she thought you know this is according to her on a transatlantic flight and um, wasn't properly ventilated and you know her animal died when she got to her first stop overseas. Now the airlines often I don't want to editorialize this but they often blame the state of the animal's health right they'll say this dog um you know, was it a short-nosed dog and shouldn't have been back here? Or, you know, there was a pre-existing condition that wasn't reported by the vet and you end up having vet v. vet basically duke it out like you would in a law court, um, in a court. (laughs) And it's all, like you said, very kind of superficial or subjective. And What does that process look like? Like, let's say you something happens to your pet. And in this case, you know, everybody should check the story out. It's kind of, it's terrible, but it's really illustrative because she's sitting at the window watching the thing that's supposed to happen and it's not happening and she's very frustrated and understandably but clearly you have a situation like that what is her recourse is what is anybody's recourse if there is an incident with their pet well unfortunately there's very little recourse and airlines have enjoyed a lot of you know immunity basically because it's really hard to catch them in this and then also to get any compensation whether it's I mean you certainly can't bring your pet back but especially when I mean I I can go through the steps but if they do offer compensation as far as money they um, ask you to sign a non-disclosure agreement so then you're basically forfeiting your right to warn other people about this Um, so I did I talked to a lawyer at the Animal Legal Defense Fund and he basically said you pretty much have as much you know, recourses you do for any luggage you check that you, unless you say this is worth X amount of dollars, it's up to $50. So it doesn't matter if you lose your luggage and it's your clothes or it's your animal. That's terrible. The process and the policy for pets is the same as for luggage. It's exactly the same. Isn't it based on weight? It's based on weight, exactly. Wow. Unless you say this is of a certain value. But again, what's the value monetarily? How do you your pet, your exactly. life. Right. What about reimbursement for vet bills, that type of medical care? So they have offered that. So the woman that I spoke to, that's the lead of the story uh, that I wrote last year, she was offered reimbursement for her veterinary bills. But again, it was on the condition that she sign a non-disclosure agreement. So she refused. And it, at that point, you know, it wasn't about the money. It was about, yeah. you know, her pet being healthy. And the other woman that I spoke to whose dog did die, they did open an investigation with the USDA. But what happens is they just find that the investigation was inconclusive because there's no vet on site to evaluate what happened to that animal right there. And it's really he said, she said, you know, um, you've got an owner who says, look, I had my dog cleared 10 days before we flew, there was no pre-existing condition, and yet somehow many of the investigations 
yield some kind of pre-existing condition that the airline claims to find. So how that happens, no one has given me a solid answer. You both have said, Tyler and Rachel, like you both have said that nobody's ever actually asked you for the documentation that's supposed to exist in which a vet has certified as to your animal's condition, right? Do you think that if they tightened that up, that would at least give owners, you know, some official pathway? It's like having your driver's license, having your hunting license, whatever, you know, you you have documentation and the airline has to at least stipulate that they've looked at the documentation, right? If you, if you falsified it somehow, certainly the air, airline can't be held accountable for that, but you know. Well, look, they might for, if your pet is going in cargo, you know, I like think Rachel and I both said, you know, having only brought our, our dogs on, um, in the cabin, that's where we've kind of been in a position where they haven't looked before. So maybe they look more closely when they're putting it, the pet in cargo, but it does seem like if, you know, regardless that if they're going to stipulate that you bring those kind of documents anyway, um, your pet should be healthy. Even, you know, if you are bringing it in cabin too, um, just, they shouldn't have to suffer through any kind of experience. So it seems like that should be more strictly enforced. Um, and I, you know, I read a, an op-ed in the New York times not long after Delta started implementing their policy. Uh, I think it was early February or something like that, where someone was arguing or the, you know, the writer was arguing that the department of transportation basically should come up with some more across the board policies that all airlines have to enforce. So that way it, it isn't so subjective anymore. And that way they do have to kind of abide by not necessarily more strict rules, but just more uniform rules instead of it just being kind of whatever, you know, your check-in attendant deems. I think part of the problem, though, is that this assessment is done after the fact. So even if the Mm -hmm. agent who accepts your animal for cargo looks at the documents, you would hope you went to your vet, you want the best for your animal. You're not going to falsify this because you want your animal to do well during this flight. So you would hope that your documents are in order. And then it's after the fact when an investigation is opened that it's unclear who's evaluating, who's investigating. No one has been able to explain where that vet comes from. And we were talking about cargo versus cabin too, and you feel a certain amount of safety if you have your pet at your feet. But even in the last two weeks when we started re-reporting all of uh, these pet travel problems, there was a puppy that was placed under someone's feet and... A reportedly a flight attendant on United asked the owner to put that pet in the overhead bin. I don't have a pet, but I know that's dumb. I mean, <laughs> no one does that. You don't put living things in an overhead bin. There's no ventilation up there. No airflow. No. So yeah. the dog died before it landed. And that was only the beginning of the week that we kind of alluded to at the beginning of this podcast. After that, there was an incidence where um, two dogs, one bound for Kyoto, one bound for Kansas, were swapped. And they ended up in the wrong places. Big, beautiful dogs, a Great Dane and a German Shepherd. And they must have been in cargo, right? This had to have been. But it kind of yes. doesn't matter. It's like, yes. again, it's like they're moving them around like luggage. Right. There's and no, there's no mm-hmm. sort of... The mix-up allegedly happened at a kennel where they were both overnighting and, you know. But to wake up the next morning and receive a Great Dane, and you were yeah. expecting a German Shepherd. Yeah. That's, that's a big deal. Yeah. And it, then it happened again, but with Delta, and an eight-week-old puppy landed, It was, I think he was bound for the West Coast, and landed in Salt Lake City in Vegas before he eventually got home. And that's a little, like, that's the bare minimum of how old these pets can be traveling, right? As far as I can tell, based on what you guys said. Exactly, yeah. And it's just mm-hmm. one after another after another, um, to the point where, thankfully, um, Rachel, I like to think you're, story had a little bit to do with it too. We brought some light to it, but uh, United 
has postponed, has shut down its pet safe program at least until early May, and they are evaluating. They're doing an investigation, and they need it. I think it's long overdue. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. United needs a bit of an investigation sort of top to bottom, right? Like, <laughs> it's like dragging, dragging humans off. Right. <laughs> Putting dogs in the overhead bin. What has been United's response aside from suspending the program? What was their position? Well, the spokesperson that I spoke to that seems to be still doing the speaking for United had up until the suspension of this program been firmly supporting the pet safe program and saying that they stand behind it, that the comfort and safety of the animals is of utmost importance to them and that the staff is specially trained. And then I did find out, I did speak to someone who had worked within United in pet care who was contracted with United, wasn't trained at United. So this is I couldn't corroborate his story. Uh, he wanted to be anonymous because he still works in this industry. But he did say that other than the people who were contracted as actual pet care people on site at United Hubs, the people who handle the animals in cargo are cargo handlers. They don't have any special training. And some of them are afraid of dogs. So they're certainly not going to check on a big German Shepherd to see if the German Shepherd looks dehydrated or needs food or needs a walk. So we're relying on people who don't have special expertise handling animals and assessing their well-being. So I would hope that United is going to staff up with some qualified personnel if they're going to offer this program again. And I think a lot of the, the self-reporting that we were talking about happening, the repercussions for not getting your numbers right are low. The fine is something like, do you remember, Rach, was it either 27000 27, Yeah, which in the grand scheme of things, in these multi-million, billion-dollar companies, that's chump change, right? So exactly. there aren't a lot of incentives to, you know... Get it right. Get it right. Stay legit. What does United say... Have you guys, or Rach, when you were talking to them, did you put to them their ratio versus the other ratios in the business? Like, what is their response to that? I don't remember if I spoke to the spokesperson about their ratio compared to others, but um, they were still very proud of the fact that they fly more pets than other airlines and felt that they were doing a good job. I think so. the ratio has gotten worse. That's it, true. It did this year. The ratio got worked mm -hmm. worse this year. Yeah, we reported on this a year ago, right? Yeah, so yeah. the latest numbers that you referenced earlier, Rachel, are the most recent that we could get. Um, there's an annual report that comes out in the spring, and it looks back through the year. So we ran this story February 2017. So there's another one due any minute now. It just came out. It just came, just out. came yeah. out. Okay. And they were still the United was still the highest uh, death rate last year or the year before, but this year it's even worse. Yeah. More than 4X. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about the varying carriers. Aside from, you know, don't ever let your pet go into cargo, and I don't know what you do if you have a bigger dog or whatever, what programs and alternatives exist for travelers? And I was curious what you guys thought of EasyJet's program that they came out with, um, I think it was this week or last week, where they're going to hook people up with pet sitters. Are there other examples of that that you guys have seen? So the EasyJet one is interesting. Um, they started talking about it over the holidays, I believe, and they are doing it in Europe because EasyJet flies mostly in Europe, but they're working with something called Trusted House Sitters where they will find you a, a pet sitter and a house sitter before you leave. 
So they're trying to facilitate that arrangement for people who are flying across Europe. We were looking into whether they will do it for American travelers at any point, but it's a great program. I mean, I know kenneling isn't always the first option for a lot of people, but if you can do, you can sidestep that and have someone care for your pet, someone who's been vetted by this company in your own home, that seems like a legitimate backup option. There's also a cruise line that will, you know, is, uh, Cunard, Queen Mary 2, will happily bring your pet. I think it's the only cruise line that you can kennel on board. But, it, you know, that's also a long trip across the Atlantic. Yeah. Yeah, the vets that I spoke to said, look, if you want to take your animal on vacation, you need to drive. Unless you are moving overseas, you're better off getting a pet sitter just for the safety of your pet. Well, it'd be great to have your pet with you. If cargo is the alternative, um, not necessarily in cabin, but you know, really the last mm-hmm. option is putting your animal in cargo. What do you think, Tyler? You know, I was going to say that European program, I just had read the article a couple of days ago or whatever, sounds fantastic. I hope that they do something similar here. Um, instead of kenneling at home, my wife and I use Rover, which is, it sounds like it's a similar service. Although, of course, we have to pay for that if we're, you know, going to travel and leave and either have somebody stay in our house with our dog or have, you know, our dogs stay at someone else's house. So maybe, I don't know, maybe some airlines start some kind of partnership with them. That would be terrific. What our rule of thumb kind of is to decide whether or not that we, we bring our dog in cabin or not is, you know, if you look at the 125 each way, so $250 ticket price we're paying for our dog, you know, the amount of nights we're going to be gone, is that going to cost us more in Rover than it will be to take the dog with us if we're going for a long uh, period of time. Um, and that's how we kind of determine then. But um, I did look into this also recently because I was just thinking about it. You can also take your pet on Amtrak in cabin. I wouldn't put my pet under a train, but you can take them uh, and put them under the seat in front of you like you would also. Similar guidelines to a lot of um, airlines. I've taken my dog on Amtrak and she just sits on my lap in the carrier. Certainly no one has checked anything <laughs> on the train. <laughs> yeah. Probably even more lax. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, trains generally are looser about all that stuff. So, but also far less risky. There's no pressure changes. There's no, none of the sort of, uh, not harder to breathe on a train unless you're in the right. smoking car. Do they have smoking cars? In I there? don't think so. When did you last take a train? <laughs> <laughs> There's train also- Express. <laughs> 1952. There's also- <laughs> American Airlines also I has. Like I should be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> um, American Airlines also has a program. I think that it's still running, where it's a specific flight from I think San Francisco to L.A. We wrote about it, where you can fly first class with your animal in cabin. But again, needs to be that specific route right. and first class, I mean, so if you it's can pricey. pay for it. I wonder if, you know, private jet lines, there are so many of them these days that are catering more and more to the not 1%, maybe the 2%. <laughs> and I, I wanted to talk to them, something like Surf Air, and see if they would allow for careful carriage of your pets on board. Mm-hmm. Do you make the assumption when you think about something like that in a semi-realistic way that you would have to buy a ticket? For the animal? I think the equivalent at the end of the day, right? I mean, you're talking about the 250 round trip, Tyler. I th- think if you're doing a, a short haul, like a regional flight, it's about that anyway, right? I mean, maybe three, 400. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of the same. Yeah. But I do want to say that, you know, sometimes you do have to travel overseas with your pet if you're moving, for example. So there are some things you can do. 
Oh, I was going to ask you guys right. about that anyway. Like, right. what are, what are the differences when tra- when traveling overseas? Because we've been talking about domestic travel, um, which is you know going overseas. Even for humans, there are different regulations and different things. Do you need a passport for your pet? Yeah. What do you What do you have to bring? There really are very specific rules and laws depending on the country you're going into and some have you know your dog needs to be quarantined some you need specific documentation that you wouldn't need for a continental flight so you would want to really do your homework and research which country you're going to what health forms you need for your animal and what you'll be faced with on the other side because it's very specific per country. I think there might be more fees associated with it too. I think some of, I was kind of just looking at some different countries as I was doing research on this and some have, you know, in order, when you con- you have to contact them in advance, like we we're talking about to, to let them know your, your animal's coming for the quarantine. There's fees associated with that too. So you're looking at even more costs there. And there are pet relocation services that can help you navigate the ins and outs of the laws and accessibility and that type of thing. Tyler, when you were choosing Rover, and we've also talked about trusted house sitters, how do you know to have faith in that service? I mean, again, you're, you're talking about the life of your pet. Um, you're also potentially talking about somebody coming in your house. What gives you confidence? What gave you confidence in that service? And what do you look for in a service like that? So the way the service works, to, it's a little bit like Airbnb in the sense that you put a lot of trust in the reviews, you know, um, the people we've gone with have had, you know, 30 plus reviews and you had, they're pretty detailed of people, whether they have had, you know, their pets stay in, uh, the rover sitter's house or have had the rover sitter stay in their house. But for each individual that you kind of reach out to, it starts off with a meet and greet where they come over to your house or you bring your dog over and you kind of make sure they're compatible in the first place. So you kind of, I mean, there's certainly a level of trust there. You got to go forward with but pending that the reviews are good and i mean the idea of having our dog stay at home with somebody trusted especially in our area too you know we live in cambridge you know the boston area so many of them are college students who just are you know going to expensive universities and studying all the time and so you know it's kind of the vibe you get i guess from the person you meet too it's It's like oh god What's well, like babysitting? I was going to say the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah, you know exactly. You see how you feel with that person. You interview that person. I also really like kennels. We've had good success with kennels that have video monitoring, so I can see oh, my terrific. little Lucy like hanging out on the little couch in the area, you yeah. know, where she'd normally be, maybe at my house, you know. So that that gives me comfort. That's great. And a lot of sitters also send photos here and there, so at least you have an idea of what your dog is up to. <laughs> I've seen even yeah. the dog walkers doing that. We have people in the office who have dog walkers, and the, <laughs> and the photos are kind of constantly streaming in. They are your babies. Yeah. They are your family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Last thing I wanted to ask you guys is both in terms of your own personal experience, but also anything that you've heard from vets that you've talked to. Are there things people should think about in terms of their own animal's health, preparing them for a flight? You know, there are things that even people have to do, get up and walk around. You know, if you have high blood pressure, take your high blood pressure medication, those kinds of things, just monitoring. Are there things like that for your pets that you exercise in or that you've heard are best practices? Yes, uh, definitely. Well, first of all, yes, you want to make sure that your animal is healthy and up for the trip based on the vet's recommendation. Um, You also want to make sure to pack water for your vet within the crate if 
whether or not you're in cabin or in cargo, you want to make sure if you're going in cargo that it's a sturdy airline approved carrier and you want to close it. I think most of them suggest closing it with zip ties so that it doesn't accidentally get broken open, which could be extremely harmful for your animal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because that can result in serious injury if your animal is loose in cargo. And also a lot of people used to talk about giving your dog medication when traveling in cargo, um, and that is not recommended. That's worse for the animal as far as health flying. Uh, So you don't want a drugged up dog. (laughs) And like you said, if there is a layover, you want that animal to walk around, exercise, really stay hydrated. I think those... Not so different than what we need, aside from the carrier zip tie thing. I don't put my baby in that, but you know, (laughs) it's very similar. You just, you need the fuel that you need to take a long haul flight and you need to be able to move and stretch and relieve yourself and, you know, take care of these little family members. Yes. I would definitely reiterate the water point. I think under the seats, especially it gets way warmer. If you have an in-cabin pet, then you can realize um, our dog gets panting down there all the time. And I had our vet too has, you know, we had originally asked about medication, whether that was an option. And they also said, no, that, that there's more complications that could potentially happen with air pressure changes and stuff than, than it would if you didn't if you go that way. But our vet did say you could give um, our dog, you know, half a child's Benadryl to chill them out a little bit. Uh, of course, you want to ask your vet first before you do anything like that. But I do think there are some who maybe say that's an option to kind of wear them down just a bit. Um, and just some other general tips. I always, you know, take my dog on a long run or walk before we fly, just so that way as much energy is out as possible. And one thing I will also say that is kind of a positive in all this is that a lot more airports are getting pet relief areas. I've noticed real recently in you know the past few years that they've sprung up at all sorts of airports, and I know there's a lot of websites that document that kind of thing. A lot of times before, you would have to take your dog or your pet outside of security um, in order to take them to a relief area, and now they have a lot more that are in security, which is so much more convenient, especially if you're just there on a short layover. That's great. So, right. JFK has some one ways, now, right, you know, Tyler? I believe so. I mean, I know that um, there's definitely one in Portland. There's one in Seattle. I think there's one in Houston. Um, I'm trying to remember what other airport I was just in. There's a ton of them now. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Thanks, you guys. I think this is super helpful. We went from bad news to to hopeful news and some really helpful things. Um, So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, and you should certainly visit us at cntraveler.com where you can read all of this coverage and we will continue to watch these stories as they develop and keep you posted on how things are going and what you should be aware of. The Women Who Travel podcast is back. Lale and Meredith are doing it again. They're in season two. I think episode three just went up on Monday of this week. And you should check that out. If you are not listening, you should be. Shame on you. It's awesome. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. Please do tweet at us if you have stories of your own traveling with your own pets. We'd love to hear them. And uh, if you have suggestions for other travelers, secrets that you've discovered or pitfalls or landmines, uh, let us know. We'll rebroadcast that stuff and let people know about it. And review us on iTunes. Give us your feedback and your ideas for podcasts. We get lots of that stuff coming in and we do love it. Rachel, how can people get in touch with you? Well, I'm on Twitter at Rachel Peachman. 
So that would probably be the best way. I have a website, rachelrabkinpeachman.com. You can find her story. I wanted to plug both of their excellent stories. Um, just search on our site. Rachel Peachman, is it safe for pets to be flying in cargo? And Tyler Moss, emotional support animals, everything you need to know. Yeah, that's great. Tyler, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, people can get in touch with me on Twitter at TJMoss11. And Laura? I'm at Twitter at Danon825 and Instagram at Laura underscore Redmond. And I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. 